to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I've got some articles and some audio that I want to play in this particular episode, but I want to start off first by uh, kind of discussing a little bit of Kyle Rittenhouse, which I haven't brought up really in the past, um, just because it's not necessarily in a quote-unquote K-12 or higher ed context, but now it kind of is, which is interesting, and it certainly provides a little bit of... Um, an opportunity here to sort of describe the current landscape to this to this young kid because I'm going to tell you something. I mean, I'm glad Rittenhouse was found innocent. That case should have never gone to, gone to trial, but it's beyond evident, I think, at this point that somebody is handling him or s- someone is continuously uh, pressing on him to either make particular decisions or continuously show his face around and then bash particular people like Lynn Wood or, you know, others and, and even defame them, he would do well to keep his mouth shut. And that's just some basic advice. Um, the world will never be the same for him ever again. This is not, this is not the old West. You can't, you can't go to trial for defending yourself and be found innocent by a jury of your peers. And then at the exact same time, just kind of waltz back into life as if everything is 100% fine. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because there's now all of this nonsense apparently about how Kyle Rittenhouse is no longer a student at Arizona State University because apparently a bunch of leftist students uh, demanded that he be kicked out of the school. And then there's reports saying that, you know, he's he he did take classes but hasn't taken classes there in a while and um yeah, I mean, it, the story is kind of all over the place because, again, Arizona State is primarily um, an online school. It's an in-person school as well. And then, of course, Rittenhouse was quoted apparently as saying that he would like to take classes in person at some point. Again, I've got some advice for Kyle Rittenhouse. He needs to keep his mouth closed. He needs to go home. He needs to make sure that he has the right lawyer for all of these defamation suits that he's going to win, and then sit back and just relax, because you're going to be a multimillionaire. This business of you needing to go to college and, well, I'd like to just walk around like everybody else and, you know, go back to living my normal life. Bro, look, everybody knows your face. Everybody knows your name now. And I mean everybody. People in foreign countries know who you are. And if he thinks, again, that he can just waltz back into a regular classroom, which is a toxic environment to begin with, he's got another thing coming. That's not going to work out well for him. He will be attacked. He will be verbally assaulted. He'll be physically assaulted. He'll have things thrown at him. And yeah, people will get arrested in the process, and he'll expose a lot of the evil you know, that just inherently, unfortunately, exists in many, uh, in many lunatics. But this again this this idea of him just even taking online classes uh with the name Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be a little a little difficult for him i think that's unfortunate i'm not saying it's a good thing i think it's remarkably unfortunate that that's the case and that's the society that we live in but it is still the society we live in which again is kind of showing his naivete in this entire in this entire thing or certainly it's continuing to expose the very individuals who are around him who are either speaking on his behalf or getting him to talk. So I would just go back to my original point here. You know, he needs to keep his mouth shut. He needs to stop talking. I don't know who his mom is talking to. Again, I don't know who he is talking to. 
The only person that he ever needs to talk to, and frankly, he doesn't even have to talk to anybody anymore. The lawyer, you know, a, a small group of lawyers or a lawyer should be able to handle any defamation case that he has going forward. And frankly, they don't even need his input on anything because everything is already out there. The, uh, the contradictory statements, this, that, and the other. But again, if he actually believes that walking back into one of these leftist lunatic environments of a university um, and that he's just going to be able to sit down in a class and golly gee, I'm just going to be like everybody else. No, that's not going to work. And that's not going to happen. So again, I, it just, I don't know. It exposes his naivete on the entire issue in the society that we live in, I think. And, and that's too bad. Um, he doesn't even know what Black Lives Matter is, for God's sakes. And he was out there apparently complimenting Black Lives Matter, which is weird. You know, people have the right to protest and they want to protest, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, look, man, keep your mouth shut. Stop talking. It's going to work out well for everybody, including yourself. So sit back, let that golden egg just fall in your lap and you'll be 100% fine. Not to mention, of course, how, how often, uh, you know, have you heard of Nick Sandman? I mean, Nick Sandman came out of the weeds, uh, you know, a, a week or so ago just to comment on the Rittenhouse case again. He, he's, <laughs> I, I, I just find that odd as well. Just stay away. That's all. I'm not saying you can't live your life. You can certainly live your life, but um, popping up out of nowhere to comment on something that has something to do with you, but not really, uh, you know, in particular when it came to defamation. I mean, I get it, I guess, but do you want to be known as the defamation guy? you know, the rest of your life and uh, pop up on Fox News and say, oh, somebody was defamed. Well, you know, let's get Nick Sandman on the case. You know, let's get Nick Sandman's, uh, his opinion. I, I don't think that, I mean, I can't possibly imagine, although I can imagine because these people exist, but a particular event occurs in one's life. They end up on the right side of history regarding it. And then they use that the rest of their life to try to milk it for whatever they can and, you know, give speeches on this, that, or the other. Again, I, I would just say that that's bad advice for Kyle Rittenhouse. Again, I'm, I'm not related to him. Clearly, I, I don't know the kid. I'm just saying that he would do well to just, you know, stay at arm's length and, and just stay away because I, there's really nothing else that he can really offer here. Um, yeah, he was being a stand-up citizen for the most part. We know that. And that's a good thing. And yeah, he defended himself lawfully, and that's a good thing. But again, beyond that, uh, I don't think that he's going to be able to show up into a university setting and provide lectures that people are going to want to listen to, um, you know, or any advice that most of us don't already know. The only thing that's going to happen in that situation is the third option, which is that he's just going to get yelled at by a bunch of whack jobs. And again, if he wants to bring that on himself, I suppose he can do it all he wants. It's a free country, and at least it kind of still is. And he's, I mean, he's allowed to do that. But again, that just wouldn't be my advice. But he didn't ask for my advice, so there you have it. Um, okay, shifting gears here. This comes from WKRN.com. It's titled, Tennessee Education Department Lists 14 Race History Concepts That Cannot Be Taught in Classrooms. This is going to be interesting. It says, quote, The Tennessee Department of Education is tweaking a new set of rules covering what can and, and what can't be taught when it comes to race and history in classrooms. Hmm. Continues. Those topics have been at the corner of lot, or corner, center rather, of lots of debate around the country. 
While the term critical race theory isn't used in the, in the guidelines for Tennessee schools, you may have heard it in connection with the issue. A draft of new rules came out in August after a bill passed in the General Assembly and the public had a chance to weigh in. The modified version still has a list of 14 prohibited concepts, including that race or sex makes a person inherently privileged and that the U.S. is fundamentally racist. Well, that's, that's good. Uh, continues, it says, however, it gives the state the possibility to take away more funding if it finds violations. Provided below is a document containing the Department of Education's rules that specify prohibited concepts in instruction. Well, let's give that a peek, shall we? Hmm. Okay, it says the following here in this document. Rules of the Department of Education, Chapter 0520-12-04, Prohibited Concepts in Instruction. It says the following. Prohibited Concepts, Number 1. The following concepts are prohibited concepts that shall not be included or promoted in the course of instruction curriculum and instruction program or in supplemental instruction materials. And then it says A, B, C, D, E, F, G all the way through. So A is 1. race or One race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. B. An individual, by virtue of the individual's race or sex, is inherently privileged, racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or subconsciously. C. An individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment because of the individual's race or sex. D. An individual's moral character is determined by the individual's race or sex. E. An individual, by virtue of the individual's race or sex, bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. you got to hand it to these people. I mean, they are covering about every angle and every base they possibly can, which is good. Um, the, the simple fact, though, that we have to make legislation about not teaching something that doesn't exist is an abomination and again that's uh that's putting it mildly f an individual should feel discomfort guilt anguish or another form of psychological distress solely because of the individual's race or sex g a meritocracy is inherently racist or sexist or designed by the particular by a particular race or sex to oppress members of another race or sex h this state or the United States is fundamentally or irredeemably racist or sexist. I. Promoting or advocating the violent overthrow of the United States government. There that's a big one. Good. That's gonna get a lot of that's gonna get a lot of Marxist teachers in a whole lot of trouble, I bet. But that's good. Now it's law. Uh J. Promoting division between or resentment of a race, sex, religion. Creed, nonviolent political affiliation, social class, or class of people. K. Ascribing character traits, values, moral, or ethical codes, privileges, or beliefs to a race or sex, or to an individual because of the individual's race or sex. I. The rule of law does not exist, but instead is a series of power relationships and struggles among racial or other groups. M. 
All Americans are not created equal and are not endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or N, governments should deny to any person within the government's jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. And that's basically it. And then it says, number two, notwithstanding subsection .031, LEAs and public charter schools are not prohibited from including or promoting concepts as part of a course of instruction in a curriculum and instructional program or through the use of supplemental instructional materials if those concepts involve the following, A, B, C, and D. A says... The history of an ethnic group, as described in textbooks and instructional materials adopted in accordance with Tennessee Code Title 49, Chapter 6, Part 22. B. The impartial discussion of controversial aspects of history. C. The impartial instruction on the historical oppression of a particular group of people based on race, ethnicity, class, nationality, religion, or geographic region. Or D historical documents relevant to subdivisions, numbers, numbers, letters, that are permitted under subsection 49-6-1011. Okay. So again, they're allowed to still use textbooks, which are filled with propaganda, and they're still allowed to have discussions on particular things, which is great, and they should. Um, the word usage, of course, here for what they're allowed to do is interesting, I think, also. Again, it's basically like, hey, look, if it's in the textbook, you're allowed to teach it because those textbooks are adopted by us and, uh, you know, everything in there is true. And they're just going to keep doing that, and that's too bad. Um, I think this opens up an interesting opportunity for the completely based and knowledgeable students who might even be smarter than their teachers, and many of them are, on the real issues and the real history that isn't being discussed in the classroom. Again, we focus a lot on the Marxist aspect of the critical theories that are out there and um, their implementation, I should say, by those very communists and, and Marxists and Bolsheviks and whatever you want to call them. I mean, they're, they're borderline Satanists as far as I'm concerned. But it provides an interesting opportunity, again, for uh, the freedom and truth-telling and truth-seeking individuals to actually flex their muscles a little bit within these environments and start to question particular things in a classroom setting when, you know, such opportunities are available. So, yeah, I say take full advantage of this law because it's certainly going to quiet down some people. And, uh, yeah, if you want to be a real base student, just print off this PDF titled The Rules of the Department of Education Prohibited Concepts of Instruction and keep it in your book bag. And then when one of your whack job teachers starts rambling on and you live in the state of Tennessee, just whip it out and throw it on their desk. That would be great. The other cool part of this, too, of course, is it provides the opportunity, this law does, it provides the opportunity for parents, students, teachers, anybody to essentially file complaints with the Tennessee Department of Education because they know that these quote-unquote prohibited concepts are being taught and then there are consequences. They'll probably fine the school district. Um, they'll, they'll most certainly go after the person's certificate, teaching certificate. They'll receive uh, potentially a, a verbal warning or a warning in writing first. But again, it's now law, which is just great. 
So here's an example of that process. Um, it says, to file a complaint, the complainant must be an eligible complainant. Um, it says, four, the complainant must, or the complaint rather, must be filled within 45 calendar days of the prohibited concept being included or promoted in a course of instruction curriculum or instructional program or supplemental instruction materials within 45 days, blah, blah, blah. Number five, it says the following information in addition to any other information requested by the LEA or public charter school shall be included in the complaint on the form provided by the department. So again, just, uh, yeah, I mean, in summary, this is an, this is an excellent law because what it's doing is, is it's providing the, the student, the teacher, the ethical teachers who work within the environment, and most certainly the parents, the opportunity to basically tell on and turn in the teachers that are teaching things that they should not be teaching. This is absolutely excellent. And one of the things that, of course, this is going to do is create a giant ripple effect all the way through higher education throughout the state of Tennessee. And anybody who lives outside of the state who moves to the state to become a school teacher, um, if they are a left-wing commie, which is redundant, I know, but um, they're going to get a shock of a lifetime because the complaints are going to start rolling in. Now, yeah, the Ohio or the Ohio, the, the Tennessee Department of Education is creating a ton of work for themselves here, and it's going to be interesting to see how much of their, uh, you know, this new law they actually follow. Because after all, state departments of education break the law all of the time. So, yeah, either way, this is not one of those things that um, that should be ignored by any ethical teacher, parent, or student. They should all understand what this law is and the rights that it actually gives them. And it gives them the right to, again, turn in any teacher or administrator who is engaging in such practices. And it's the administrators, I might add, too, that are not free from uh, having uh, radical assemblies or engaging in, you know, left-wing, commie, nut job, uh, whatever you want to call them activities throughout the course of a day or throughout the course of an entire school year. They, they do that on a semi to regular basis, and uh, they can get strung up in this entire process as well, and they should. So again, it's, it's creating oversight for citizens, which is the point. That's always the point. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. We are supposed to oversee whether or not the public, again, taxpayer-funded, whether or not they're actually doing their jobs or not. And that's a good thing. Always a good thing. Now, this next one, again, pretty much falls within the exact same vein here of, of providing oversight. Finally, a, uh, a state attorney general gets involved. But this is titled from lawenforcementtoday.com, Missouri Attorney General sues school district for forcing critical race theory on staff and hiding it from parents. Again, this is... This is great, and uh, it's going to set a precedent here, and it, it should make every single school district in the state of Missouri and other school districts you know, across the country just quiver right now, and it, it better be doing that. Again, you know, I got to tell you, a little sidebar here before I read part of this, being a K-12 administrator um, within 
public, private, or charter schools. Could not be an easier job. It couldn't be easier. And here's why. All you have to do is be an ethically sound human being to do it correctly. That's all. The problem is, is that many of the people who take those positions are not ethically sound. So I'm going to make a reference here, and it's one that's been made a million times other places, but it certainly bears repeating here. If a school building has flies in it, and by flies I mean bad curriculum, bad teachers, radical behavior, blah, 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 that's because the environment is built out of shit. And shit attracts flies. So the bad administrators that show up in school buildings and the bad teachers that might show up in school buildings, they're the flies because the environment has shown itself time and time again over the course of God knows how long uh, to just be an environment filled with shit. I mean, that's it. I don't know what else I can add. You know, when when a, when you hear of a school building engaging in unethical behavior with all of these unethical teachers and their LGBT whatever flags and their uh, you know their their Marxist uh, Antifa flags and whatever else, that's because the environment is filled with shit. So it attracts these kinds of people. It attracts those kinds of teachers. It attracts those kinds of uh, those kinds of administrators. That's that's the way that it works. But uh, the law is beautiful, and it needs to be used. And finally, someone who is actually in the position of being the state lawyer is, uh, is finally doing something about it, which is nice. So here's what it says. Springfield, Missouri, the Republican attorney general for the state of Missouri has filed a lawsuit against the school district in Springfield after allegations surfaced that they hid staff training that promotes controversial critical race theory. Uh, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt filed the lawsuit after he learned that the district in Springfield may have violated a transparency law when they restricted access to training materials used for teachers and staff. Schmidt explained the reasoning for the lawsuit to Fox News. Quote, Today we sued Springfield Public School on behalf public schools on behalf of parents to find out exactly what's being taught to their children, especially as teachers and staff are attending trainings where they're required to consult an oppression matrix, quote-unquote, and other materials. Springfield Public Schools have stonewalled parents and a state representative, but they will not stonewall the attorney general's office. The critical race theory that Schmidt is referencing is a controversial theme that's being taught throughout the country in mainly liberal areas that supposedly break down the different aspects of society to discover what people believe are systemic racist beliefs that plague the country, blah, 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 blah. Well, good. Yep, he should sue the ever-living hell out of them. He should take all of their money away. Um, And then, yeah, it's just going to make every single teacher who is teaching their opinions and their feelings in the classroom, it's going to make them quiver. And they're going to have to go maybe find another job someplace, like the local Starbucks or something. Uh, there, There needs to be more state oversight on what goes on at the local level. I'm not for big government. I'm not advocating for that in the slightest. I'm simply saying having a state attorney general get involved with a local school district is awesome. That's a beautiful thing. And that right there should also tell people just how dirty 
these local school districts really are because there's all kinds of things they don't want people to know. All kinds of stuff. Now, this next story is, is very interesting and remarkably sad uh, all at the same time. Um, a year ago, one year ago, a well-known German chemist by the name of Dr. Andreas Nowak, if I'm saying that correctly, um, he was arrested by armed police after they were breaking into his home during a live YouTube stream that he was doing. Uh, he also recently released a video of him describing how there is, and I want to make sure I get this correct here, so bear with me, not graphene oxide per se, but uh, although graphene oxide is certainly in it, but he's referring to it as graphene hydoxide, which essentially ends up being like microscopic razor blades within the COVID jabs, which of course enter the bloodstream, travel throughout the entire body, and of course break the blood-brain barrier. And he was describing this again in a video, and then um, he was murdered shortly after releasing that video. And again, that happened just within uh, the last couple of days. So he was murdered on November 27th, and the video was released apparently on November 23rd. So, yeah, if the jabs work, ladies and gentlemen, why is that happening? And this right here, again, is it's just awful, but it, uh, he's, he's not the first person to lose his own life for telling the truth. And, um, yeah, he's certainly in a better place, wicked smart, knew exactly what he was doing, you know, gave the giant middle finger to the establishment, and uh, and there you go. And God bless him for it, because he's saved lives as a result of exposing what's in these jabs and, and what's actually been going on this entire time. So God bless him. And uh, that right there should tell you the state of affairs that the entire world is in right now, because it's certainly, certainly awful. But at least there are a few good judges still available, apparently. And uh, here's some better news, I should say, too. This comes from the Washington Times. Judge halts Biden administration COVID-19 vaccine mandate for health workers. So thank God for that. Um, and they did so, I believe, for a number of states. It says a federal judge in Missouri on Monday temporarily blocked the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandates for all health care workers in 10 states. U.S. District Judge Matthew Shelp, if I'm saying that right, uh, granted a preliminary injunction barring the administration from enforcing the mandate while litigation continues in the case filed by a coalition of 10 state attorneys general. Uh, he was a Trump appointee, ruled that the administration did not have the authority to issue the mandate requiring healthcare workers employed by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid services to be vaccinated by January 4th. Again, this is a cool thing, but it also, I mean, it's remarkable. It, it continuously should show people, in particular in the healthcare field, and frankly, in any field who hears about this, again, why, why in a working environment do you have some that just willfully lined up and took the jabs and then others are protesting, walking out of their hospitals and buildings and saying, we're not taking this? What are the jabbed actually thinking? 
And I've said this before, but what's going through their minds? I mean, are they actually looking at one another and going, hey, what's the deal? What, why are half of them leaving? Well, you know, again, it bears only one question. The jabbed person should walk up to the unjabbed person and say, hey, what do you know about this jab that I don't? Can you please tell me what I need to know about this jab? Because apparently you're willing to lose your job because you don't want to take it. And I took it to quote unquote keep my job. So, uh, what is it that you know that I don't? I mean, it requires people putting their ego and pride aside for a while. Um, but that's the only, I mean, it's a rock and a hard place. It's the only angle, I think, that the jabbed individual in the working environment can possibly, I mean, it's the only thing they can possibly do. Other than, of course, which is probably what they are doing, which is just walking away or acting like it's not a big deal or... Uh, not talking to the unjabbed ever again, whatever it is, it's just beyond bizarre. But it's created arguably the greatest interpersonal societal divide, I think, that's ever existed within any workplace. But God bless that judge for finally doing what every single judge should have been doing from the very start. And yeah, if it buys these states more time and buys those nurses more time, even better. But uh, there you go. And who knows, maybe they're already finding new jobs in you know, different places of employment because, as we all know now, hospitals are basically kill factories. That's essentially what they are, and that's pretty much what's been going on up to this point. So, um, again, with that said, I do, I do want to play a couple of uh, other things here. One, one piece of audio, again, in this exact vein of, of the jab stuff regarding nurses, but uh, there's an individual who listens to the podcast from time to time, who I've talked with from time to time too, and they have told me a, a number of different stories regarding their experiences with communicating with people regarding the jab. They said that one of their friends, um, after receiving two jabs, has now been diagnosed with blood clots, and they are in their early 70s. And they said that they met another individual or they know of another individual who's a child who has who received the jabs and became paralyzed and can't apparently talk anymore and then another individual that they said they ran into uh in the grocery store and they were talking about the jabs apparently and this woman who she was talking to lost her husband 24 hours after taking the first jab so i think what's interesting about this is that from a society standpoint, and certainly a sociological standpoint, we don't need the six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, so to speak, in order to know someone who has been jab injured. Um, again, whether or not it's happened with the individual themselves or someone that they know or are related to or whatever, um, the, the odds of us just knowing a person who knows a person is is all the the leapfrogging that a person would have to do in order to eventually find a jab-injured human being. So again, remarkably sad, but um, it, I, you know, I, I don't see it getting better with time. Uh, with that said, here's a piece of audio I wanted to play from a nurse who was speaking up and speaking out at a little community gathering outside um, where individuals, again, are trying to educate one another in their local community about what's really going on. So give this a listen. 
I'm going to try to keep this short, but I'm going to put this from the Can perspective. Can you speak loudly, too? And I'll try to I'm trying. <laughs> so, I'm going to try to keep this short, and I'm going to put this from the perspective of the nurse who's been working in the hospital here locally. Um, last year, prior to the vaccines, about one in five patients came in with COVID. This year, in the hospital I'm working in, every single patient has COVID. <laughs> Want to know what changed? The vaccine. Yes, that's right. And yeah. the patients came in with COVID or with uh, fully vaccinated and vaccinated at all. Pretty much the majority. There were some unvaccinated, but very few. What we are also seeing are they're coming in with necrotic fingers and toes from from uh, the microclotting, necrotic intestines from microclotting, heart attacks, stroke. Uh, uh, myocarditis, all of these heart and health issues, blood issues, all these issues, which we're then being asked to take upon ourselves by being mandated to get these vaccines, first of all. Secondly, the other thing that I'm seeing, and that that we're seeing, and watching these, the treatments for this COVID does nothing in the hospital. It does nothing for the COVID. Remdesivir does nothing, but it's not, and the studies prove it. If it isn't given within the first three days, it does nothing for COVID. But yet they give course after course after course of the remdesivir, and the patients end up kidney with failure. all kinds yeah. of organ failure, kidney failure, liver failure. They're ending up with um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. They're ending up with uh, um, pneumothorax. They're ending up with all of these issues caused by the treatment, not by COVID. They're not dying from COVID. They're dying from Now, as people were applauding there, and rightfully so, she was basically saying, again, through the applause, they're dying from the side effects of the treatment and and the jabs. Those are the two things that are killing people. And again, we've known that for quite some time. I just find it remarkably, I would say, refreshing and disappointing kind of at the same time that it's locations like this where the truth is really getting out. I mean, you have to go down the street to an organization or down the street to, uh, you know, a gathering of your fellow citizens in order to hear what's really going on at the ground level from the people who are actually doing it. And again, this nurse isn't lying. This nurse knows that the individuals who are showing up to hospitals are double, triple jabbed and that they're the ones that are getting ill. There's no way in hell that any other nurse is not making these connections. They have to be making these connections because, as we all know, they are asking us when we go to a hospital or a doctor's office, the first words out of their mouths are, and the employees there, is, have we taken the jabs? Because, again, they're tracking all of us. They're tracking the jabbed and the unjabbed, and they're putting the unjabbed who don't want the jabs you know, on some undesirable list uh, to scoop us up and take us away. But for the jabbed, who, again, they open up their file and their medical records and they go, oh, they're double jabbed. Well, they're back here. Oh, they're triple jabbed. Oh, God, now they can't breathe and they're here. You know, what do we do? Well, again, Helen Keller can figure out that it's, it's the jabs that are doing it. And there's no way, again, that these nurses aren't figuring out what's going on. They might be a double jab nurse or a triple jab nurse themselves. It's going to be, it's just becoming too obvious. That's what's making all of this so biblical. It's making it 100% biblical because it's just too clear to see. And it's only going to get clearer as time goes on. 
So speaking of clarity, here's another uh, example of a story that, you know, cannot be ignored. And again, as you might expect, <clears throat> not making this about me, but this was something that I brought up, of course, in that school board meeting way back when. Uh, this comes from the expose just today. It says, official data shows huge increase in cases of ovarian cancer and deaths of newborn babies have hit critical levels. Are the COVID-19 vaccines to blame? Uh, yes. It says, quote, data available from Public Health Scotland shows the cases of ovarian cancer in 2021 are much higher than the 2017 to 2019 average. And deaths of newborn babies have reached the upper warning threshold, indicating factors beyond random variation may have contributed to the deaths. With nearly 400,000 men uh, menstrual disorders being reported as adverse reactions to the COVID-19 vaccines, scientists warning of potential issues with the formulation of the COVID-19 injections leading to infertility, real-world data showing the rate of miscarriage following COVID-19 vaccination is as high as 82%, and the confidential study showing the COVID-19 vaccine accumulates in the ovaries over time. Uh, could the rise in ovarian cancer and the deaths of newborn babies have anything to do with the mass rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines? The answer, of course, is yes. And I might add, that percentage of 82% of miscarriages from the jabbed or double jabbed has actually increased to upwards of 91 to 92%. And again, I reported on that a while back and read that particular article a long time ago. I believe it was also from uh, the dailyexpose.uk. So it basically said, yeah, that particular study from the New England Journal of Medicine that honed in on 82%, which of course is massive, is actually far worse. Because again, within the study, certain things weren't being examined. And as it turns out, yeah, it's just way worse. I also highly recommend getting on BitChute, and I don't know if you've seen these videos or not, but they really are disturbing, um, and I'm assuming that they're legit. Uh, certainly the pictures are disturbing, and again, there's video footage of it, but it's jabbed parents, like a jabbed mother, for example, who has given birth, and the eyes of their newborn baby are black. They're just, they're just black. There's no, there's no pigment to them whatsoever. Um, there's no variation in color. You, you can't see a pupil, an iris, nothing. They're just black eyes. Again, it's, it's video, uh, it's pictures. You know, I, I don't know if it's been manipulated or not, but it's certainly odd and very disturbing. Not to mention these children just don't look well. There's nothing about them that actually looks good. Um, yeah, so it's certainly some disturbing footage, and if you're interested in checking it out, again, bounce around on BitChute and type in COVID-19 babies or jabbed moms or you know whatever in the search bar and, and, and do what you can. And again, if you've been on BitChute before, you probably noticed that the search bar has to be a little more specific with your searches. It's not like YouTube where you can just type in any random words uh, in the English language and uh, similar videos will pop up. You have to be very, very specific. And sometimes you have to spell the words exactly correct in order to get the search that you're looking for. So if you're interested in checking that out again, just be persistent with it and I'm sure you'll come across it. Um, I did want to bounce over here lastly before I wrap up to uh, nomassforkids.com because there's still some people posting over here, even though it's sort of topped out. 
and it's lasted about a year, this particular site. Again, with a lot of a lot of really interesting insight, I think, to the frame of mind in particular of a lot of parents and a lot of people who are continuously sending their children to these environments to be gagged. But I want you to hear the cognitive dissonance in this parent uh, as they have made this post. And then, of course, you can ask yourself a variety of questions, I'm sure. It's only a couple of sentences long. It's titled Skin Breakdown. We're talking about a uh, six-year-old, six-year-old male. It says, my six-year-old son came home from school one day last week and had band-aids behind his ears. He told me his ears were hurting from the mask straps. The teacher put band-aids on him to prevent skin breakdown. As a mother, it was hard knowing that my son is in discomfort while at school, unquote. Now, just sit with that for a minute. The mother is refusing, and I mean refusing, to accept any responsibility for this whatsoever. This, again, is the full-blown normalization of child abuse. If such a thing were done in 2019, the teacher would have been fired. You're doing what to my child? You're putting band-aids behind their ears because of why? Because you're making them wear a mask, you say? And because the mask straps on the, on the sides of the mask are, are burning holes or wearing away the skin behind their ears? Excuse me, that person would have been arrested. They would have been arrested. Ladies and gentlemen, in conclusion here, that's why this is biblical. Everything is being revealed. Everything is being revealed here. This is child abuse to the nth degree. The mother will continue to send her six-year-old to school, I'm sure. Breaking the child's mind. So by the time they actually reach puberty or adolescence, they will snap. That chemical overload combined with her already broken brain, that child won't have a chance. They won't have a chance. So long term. I'm going to Walter Mitty this one too. Long term, here's, here's what we're looking at. <clears throat> For the children who are continuously going to these environments because their parents are continuously sending them, in the future, in their teenage and 20s, they will have serious mental breakdowns. They will have mental and emotional disorders from here to Timbuktu. It's inevitable. It's already happening with minors. They're already... They're already nervous because their parents are nervous. They're already wearing masks because their parents are wearing masks. No one is explaining to, to these children, although I'm sure some are, but many are not, that why is it that we can go here and we can go here and we can go to this restaurant and this public place and not have to wear a mask, but we have to wear a mask in school? Because the schools are evil and they're showing everybody what they're capable of and how little they actually care about the truth. It's all being revealed here, ladies and gentlemen. So don't be surprised again if you start to really see, witness, or experience the mental and emotional breakdown of these children as they age over the course of their teenage years and early 20s. It's inevitable that it will happen. And with that, unfortunately, comes drug addiction, suicide, you name it. This is, this is also a part of that population control that these Satanists are really interested in. 
It's the gradual destruction of the mind over the course of time. Would they like them all dead immediately? Yeah, they would love that because that's how evil they are. But they know that this will drag on for decades to come, and it's absolutely awful. So parents have got to save the minds of their own children because that's what's being attacked because it's a psychological war, and that's what it is. And it's being played out on a day-in and day-out basis, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. So, not to end it on a sour note, but again, self-govern. That's all. Self-govern. Take some control back. If a child can read, they can teach themselves. With that said, I'll catch you on Friday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.